If you are amongst those, and I hope you're not, but if you are, of those who see the parables of Jesus as basically little morality tales, little stories that are supposed to tell us how to live our lives, then you're going to stumble pretty hard over today's. After all, what do you do with a parable that basically says, be like unto the dishonest manager who got fired because he abused his master's wealth? That does not seem like a typical Judeo-Christian ethical teaching. The reality is, though, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who see the parables exactly like that, that they teach us what to do in life, how to behave, how to be, in effect, good Christians. And so one of my favorite commentators wrote in their discussion that many affirm this parable is the most difficult of all in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And as we have observed, the problems are so complex that at least two theologians have declared them to be insoluble. In other words, they said we're never going to understand what exactly Jesus was trying to tell his disciples and the crowds in this parable. How can God commend somebody who cheated their master? How can God go beyond commending them and call them wise? And how are the children of light supposed to make friends with bad money? Well, fortunately, especially for those of you who have been sitting in churches like this for a while, you know that the Bible is not, as one of my professors said, a book about interesting things. It's not a morality tale. It's not a guide to life. It is, in fact, God's revelation to us of his will to send his son to deliver fallen people from their sin. The Bible is the book about Jesus. The Gospels are the books about Jesus's life and ministry, and Jesus's parables themselves all reveal to us the character of God in his son, Jesus Christ. Those who see the parables, then, as presentations of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus has taken away your sins on the cross and has freed you, that you might serve your neighbor, find themselves really richly rewarded in today's parable. In fact, I'm even going to go out on a limb and say it is one of the most strong gospel parables for witnessing in all of the scriptures. Now, recall a few rules about parables, if you really want to understand them this way. The first rule is that whoever is the first person in the parable is God in Christ. All of the parables serve the purpose of telling us about God's character, whether it is the dad who has two sons, one who runs away and the other who complains about how he's been treated, where the dad is our Lord, whether it was like last week where God is compared to a widow searching for a coin or a shepherd searching for a lost sheep, or today, where God is compared to a master who has a steward who is looking after his possessions. So since it is this rich man who is the first person in the parable, then we know that we're supposed to learn from him something about God. So the first question we have to ask is, is the master honorable? Or is he a partner in crime? Now, by partner in crime, I mean he is just as corrupt as the dishonest manager, and they're all somehow in it together to bilk the people that owe them out of their hard-earned wheat and hard-earned olive oil. 
Well, we already know actually from the very first words of the parable that that's not the case. This is a beloved landowner. Now, those of you who are tenants know how priceless a beloved landlord is. Those of you who've had to deal with people that don't want to get rid of the cockroaches and don't want to fix the plumbing and don't want to do all of that stuff, you know that that is a miserable place to be. So if you're blessed with a landlord who does look after your apartment, who does immediately come and fix your plumbing, who makes sure that the electricity is on, who makes sure that the sidewalk is cleared, you are probably more likely to look out for them than someone that you really despise. And that's the case with this man because somebody comes to tell him that his possessions are being mismanaged. If somebody is bilking in your building, the landlord out of stuff that's his, and you hate that landlord, are you going to go out of your way to try and find them wherever they might be in the city and tell them that their stuff is being misused? Probably not. But if this is the landlord that clears your sidewalks and keeps the power on and makes sure the plumbing is working, and you find out that somebody is taking their stuff, you might call them up and say, hey, your super is abusing their rights. And that's precisely what happens here. So we know right away that we are dealing with a God that the community loves. A rich man who is respected by the ones who owe him. Now, what about the steward? We have the steward who has come and very quickly asked all of these people to cut their bills down. So we could and we should ask the question, what about his character? How bad is he and what is the nature of his badness, if you will? Some people might suggest that perhaps he inflates all of these bills anyway, and so all he's doing is calling in the renters and having them cut their bills down, basically take away his cut. Well, if that was the case, the tenants would know that. Because the way things worked in the Middle East was, and it seems to be working this way in this parable, is if you own land, you can either charge a percentage of your crops at the end of the year or a fixed amount. This owner seems to be arranging for a fixed amount at the end of the harvest season to be given over. You're growing wheat on a portion of the land that I am letting you use. You owe me 100 bushels. You're growing olive trees. You owe me a certain percentage of the oil. Or not a percentage of the oil, but a fixed amount of oil. Now, probably the people tipped the steward. They probably got, you know, he got some shekels under the table, if you will, but not a huge amount. So it's not obvious that this guy is bad. So when he calls everybody in and gets them to start cutting their bills really quickly, the people are concluding two things. Number one, the steward is doing a really good thing for them. And he must have gone to their master, whom they really like and appreciate, and asked him if it would be okay to cut their bills. Maybe it was a bad year. Maybe there wasn't a lot of rain. Maybe there were locusts. Who knows what the problem is? But these people, because they trust the owner, they see him as gracious and merciful, are looking at the steward as somebody who is accurately representing him. Of course, 
this owner would ask us to cut our bills. Of course, he would tell us that we don't owe as much wheat or owe as much oil because of the way the season has been. And so we come to the end of the parable where this owner commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What has the manager done? He has thrown everything on the mercy of his boss. Because like the community, he too has looked at the boss as somebody who is merciful, who is gracious, who always tries to do the right thing. And he knows that if he calls in all of these people and they cut all of their bills, there's no way that he is going to go back to everybody and ask them to up their bills again because the manager made a mistake. You can picture the scene. The manager, who, by the way, has not been thrown into jail, which is another sign of the mercy of this rich landowner, because that's what you would normally have done. He's given him time to go and put the accounts in order, brings in the books into the owner's room. And the owner can hear in the village, because unlike our landlords who might live goodness knows where in the city, these owners lived in the community. He can hear the community celebrating. He can hear the people saying, we don't owe as much wheat. We don't owe as much oil. Don't we have this great manager? And he sees the books and he looks at the manager and he hears the partying. And then he looks at him and says, ah, you clever man. You too have depended on my mercy in order to make friends of the people in the community so that they will take you in now that I am firing you. Slow clap. Well done. Now, what's the connection with us? What does that have to do with the children of light? Why would God turn around and say, see how this parable illustrates how the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with people than you are? Because the children of light are his disciples. You could even argue that it's the religious leaders of the time are that supposed to be the ones who are following the Lord, who is the light of the world. What problem is he pointing out in them? How are they supposed to be like this shrewd manager? Well, it's actually quite simple. If God is like this rich manager, this rich owner, if God is merciful, if God is slow to anger, if God desires, as Paul said in our epistle, that all people come to the knowledge of Jesus and be saved, if our Lord's first and primary wish is for all of his people to be together as one, then why do we act as if God is some stingy overlord that we have to continue billing people for? Why don't we go to other people that owe us and cut their bills? Why don't we go to the people who have wronged us or that we think have wronged God and are carrying the heavy weight of guilt on their shoulders and say, take your sin and cut it down to zero? Why don't we offer forgiveness as freely to those around us as God has offered it to us and as that manager used his rich landowner's mercy to make friends of the people that owed his master? You see, this whole parable is directed at anyone who shares the account of Jesus with their friends, with their neighbors, and especially to those of us who preach. 
Are we going to depend fully and completely on the mercy and grace of God and offer to cut everyone's bills, knowing full well that that's what God is like? And that God would never go back and say, oh, actually, you now owe me all the full amount. That this is the point of Jesus's death on the cross, that the bills have been reduced to zero, that all of our debt has been taken away, and that we are now given the high privilege of going into the world and announcing a God who has redeemed everyone. And now wants people to come together as one. That's why this parable is all about the gospel. It is all about the character of what God has done in Jesus. That while we are so stingy with God's grace and mercy because we think God is stingy, everything changes when we realize what he has done in Jesus and who God truly is, calling us to go out and cut the debts to zero for the sake of Jesus' cross. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.